This is Strange Assembly, episode 142, Reload. I'm Chris Stevenson, your host on Strange Assembly, and I'm here today with Mark Wooten, the head designer of the new Doomtown Reloaded ECG, or should I call it new, or is it the old Doomtown? What, what should we call it, Mark? Uh, Doomtown Reloaded's good. Yes, it's it's Doomtown Reloaded as opposed to what we fondly refer to as classic Doomtown, which was the original collectible version of the card game. But I think they're close enough to, to say that you know, one is definitely tied to the other, right? Yes, I certainly think so. Definitely some changes, and we're going to ask you about that. But first, I wanted to ask you, how did you and Alderac get to making Doomtown Reloaded? I right, I know that there's been out there some call for Doomtown to come back or for 7th C to come back. So what sparked AEG getting into this at this time? Well, I, th- I think there's a number of reasons, really. First of all, I think that the whole Deadlands, Weird West intellectual property that Pinnacle have created is a, is a fantastic setting, which we were always really fond of and was a, was a massive part of why we enjoyed classic Doomtown when it came out. So I think the first thing to say is there was a great intellectual property out there, both in Deadlands and Doomtown. Secondly, in the period from, from classic Doomtown ending to, to, to current day, there's definitely been a change in the way poker is perceived. Poker has become almost like a, a television sport. I think there's a lot more people aware of poker style mechanic and the way poker works as a game. And because the old sort of Wild West and poker are so intrinsically linked, I think it's a real good opportunity to bring Doomtown out again now. I think the other thing is, it still remains an original mechanic. It's not like anything else that's come before or since. And so, that together with the fact that, that we knew we knew that there were people out there who had still kept classic Doomtown going. So, it clearly had engendered a lot of love and a lot of affection for a large number of people. And that's definitely been seen by the, the number of former Doomtown players who've come back over the intervening weeks since we announced it and said, hey, you know, we're really impressed with this. And we hope they're going to be joined by a whole bunch of new people who've, who've not experienced Doomtown before. Yeah, I, I know when we had our, we took our review copy of Doomtown and we were actually playing with it at a store, there were a whole bunch of people who were anxiously trying to get into the game. <laughs> like, well, I like the sound of that. Yeah, yeah, we're like, sorry guys, there's four of us here and there's only four pre-constructed decks, but you can watch. Uh, but you talked about poker as probably anybody who's listening to this knows, but I'll, I'll go over it just in case. Every card in Doomtown has a poker value, you know, jack of spades, two of hearts, that sort of thing. And in Doomtown Reloaded, you are limited to no more than four of any particular value and suit combination. So if there's three different actions you want that are eight of clubs, you only get four total copies of those, and that's a a big deck-building restriction and one of the things that I think is interesting. But with that in mind, how did you guys go about deciding 
what cards go at what values and are fighting for that deck slot. I think we wanted initially to try and give people a reasonable range of choices in the critical different areas of gameplay with the base set. Clearly, with 140-odd cards, particularly when you look at the structure of a Doomtown deck, there's not a lot of cards to play with at the initial release in terms of... Uh, I say not a lot of cards to play with. Yeah, it, it is a lot of cards, but in terms of... I mean, not a lot to play with in terms of design space. So we were we were working with three values, for example, in actions. We were working with three values for each club. And what we tried to do with them is to say, broadly speaking, we want to give people an opportunity for a noon action, an opportunity for a shootout action, and an opportunity for a resolution action. And that may be a cheating card or it may be not be a cheating card. And with the initial release, we wanted to give people as many choices as we could, but still produce a product that was a, a good price point so that people could get into the game and enjoy it relatively easily. So a lot of the design thinking was was around that sort of concept of how can we give the best variety and best series of choices for people who want to construct decks with different values, different criteria, different opportunities. And although it, it isn't a strict across the board, there will always be a noon action, always be a shootout action and always be a resolution action. If you look at the spread, it follows that pattern broadly. And then what we're going to do, obviously, as we release the expansions, the saddlebags, we're going to start, you know, moving away from that because they'll be released in, in sort of 21 unique card packs. Clearly, the, the different values will get more cards at a different rate. At certain points, it will even out. We will always try and get back to a relatively even number after a certain number of releases. But because the releases are going to be quite small, it's going to move around. The idea very much with the, with the base set was that we, we wanted to give people a good spread of different types of actions at values. Okay, well, you've talked about the saddlebags, and uh, I know Mike wanted me to, to ask about that. And I think Mike is an important customer for you because uh, he puts you as his number one anticipated release at Gen Con, which means he's definitely going to be bum-rushing your booth to buy your, your game. <laughs> And uh, and the saddlebags is, is something he had wanted to know about. So how are you going to craft the contents of the saddlebags with respect to values and how much support particular factions get? Broadly speaking, what we're trying to do with the saddlebags is we have a formula in terms of the number of deeds, the number of dudes, the number of dudes per faction the number of actions, the number of goods, the number of spells, and so on. Now, not every saddlebag is going to be absolutely identical. We may put an extra deed in one and one less action or an extra action and one less deed in another. But we have a, a mix that we're working around. And really, it's crafted in such a way that we're trying to give each faction something that's going to interest them. The approach we've taken with the factions is we've got a preconceived idea of the kinds of things that factions will be good at. The kind of things that identify them in the story will also identify them in the actual mechanical gameplay. So the way we're then 
approaching the saddlebags or the way we have approached the saddlebags so far, because we've already designed the first three, is that we are initially looking at values and actions that we think will complement the strategies of all of the four factions roughly equally across those first three saddlebags. Then we know that we want to get to a point where we can make people more choices at each value. So we, we kind of plump for a, an approach of let's pick the value we think is most appropriate for this action and for this faction that it's, it's designed to support, then kind of filling in around that. So I guess the answer is we, we've sort of sketched out the structure. We've sketched out where we think it was po- important to do the early development, and then we've backfilled in the spaces. Does, does that make sense? Yes. So you made a number of changes from Doomtown Classic to Doomtown Reloaded. What do you think is the single most important change that you made to the mechanics of the game? Uh, So that's interesting because I... Actually, Chris, I think that's almost impossible to answer because I think one thing kind of flows into another. So, So the thing about any game is if you change one element it has a repercussion on all the other elements of the game. So, for example, we changed the way shootouts work, so you now take casualties as opposed to acing dudes. As soon as you make that change, it has a number of knock-on implications in the game. Dudes can be a little more important to you because shootouts are exactly, not exactly, but more or less half as lethal as they used to be. So... That means that your dudes are a bit more durable, so you can afford to perhaps invest a little bit more in them. We generally change the economy on deeds such that deeds have a, in general, have a higher production to cost ratio, which also has a knock on effect. And we tended to put more control points on deeds as well. So, what you end up doing is you, is you look at each of those changes individually, but then you, you're also trying to figure out how they all interact with each other. So I think I would find it really difficult to point to one individual change as being the most important. I think there are a number of things. I mean, I think obviously the way shootouts work is designed to give people more opportunities to get into smaller shootouts related to deeds that have a better cost production ratio and therefore a little bit more worth fighting over but not to the extent that you want to get your entire posse wiped out and i think the debt construction change allowed us to change the dynamic with cheating cards so that we took the worst anti-cheating not the worst it's it's the wrong way of putting it the strongest anti-cheating effects away but replaced them with those that were more commensurate with a with a different deck constructional limit. So you can't build a deck that can draw five of a kind 100% of the time. Now, in classic Doomtown, you could do that. I'm not saying it was a good idea. I'm not saying it, it ever won anything. What I'm saying is you could absolutely do it. You could have 100% consistency. Because you can't do that, you don't need cheating effects that deal with that as a possible game state. So the lethality of shootouts, the costing of deeds and the deck construction rules, I think all sort of interwoven with each other to the point where they all change the dynamic of the game to the place where 
I think you get into the meat of things a little bit quicker. And I think the decision points that you make in the game get more interesting quicker. That was the plan anyway. <laughs> well, it seems to be working out well so far. Now, Jay from our podcast, he did old Doomtown, and he said that he, he mostly likes the reduction in the number of different card types, but he was wondering what happened to events and why did those go away? The call we made on events was that they generally seemed to fall into one of two categories, which was they were particularly powerful with a given strategy or perhaps in general, or they were really fairly weak and didn't see play. And because of the random nature of when they actually were going to hit, or theoretically the random nature of when they're going to hit, they're a very difficult card to balance because there's, there's an opportunity cost with them, an opportunity cost in relation to their effect. In addition to that, it is an additional rule that you have in lowball. So it was a combination of things. We thought that they added an additional difficulty to lowball that new players, and we hope there will be plenty of new players, could probably do without. And when we actually looked through and for some examples of events that we we really, really would like that kind of effect in the game. In most cases, we were able to find other ways of doing it that we thought just worked better. So, you know, a card like a coach comes to town, you know, the old event, is replicated with a job now. Because it, it was kind of like a job anyway, but it was just an event. And the beauty of that is... It, it doesn't mean that there isn't design space to play within lowball in the future. And what we haven't said with anything is that we're never going to do it. What we said is that with the release of the base set, with the, you know, the 140 cards that we got and with trying to create a rule set that we thought would be friendly to new players and yet still create that quintessentially Doomtown experience, it was best to leave events out. Speaking of things that you haven't said that you will never do, I'm putting the over-under on you introducing additional factions at next Gen Con. How far off am I? Oh. So I will give you an honest answer about new factions, which, which is not going to answer your question. So I'm going to give you an honest answer, but I'm not going to answer your question. We absolutely have not ruled out doing new factions, but we need new factions to have a meaningful purpose in the game. So there has to be a story that story wants to tell, and there has to be a solid mechanical niche that design wants to explore. And we genuinely don't have a specific time that we have agreed to do new factions yet. But I am absolutely not ruling it out. What I will say is... I suspect that the very quickly there will be there will be interest in new factions, and we absolutely want to be ready with those new factions when the time comes. But part of the nature of the release schedule that we have, you know, we're starting off with 140 cards. 
we're releasing 21 unique cards at a time. We've already said that in the pine boxes, there's going to be about 40 cards. So it's quite a slow burn. And if you compare the number of cards that would be in a base set of, say, a CCG, we're going to be building to that gradually. So our main, our main criteria was to have an interesting and engaging and diverse set of tactical and story opportunities in the base set and to build those up to a point where we were happy that the game was developing and that people were able to explore lots of different opportunities with them before we made a final decision about whether we were going to introduce new factions. But on the overall under about whether we do it, I would say more likely than not. But please don't take that as a promise. Okay. Now, in that answer, you mentioned saddlebags again, but also pine boxes with 40 cards. What's the difference between a saddlebag and a pine box other than the number of cards you're putting in it? The main thing is that mechanically and story-wise, more cards allows you to explore new things. So I think what the pine boxes will do is they will give story exclamation points and they will give design opportunities to introduce new mechanical things and have enough cards in a particular release to look at playing with new ideas and introduce them at such a level. If they're not working perfectly at introduction, there is at least a good base of cards to play with and for players to start working with those card ideas. So a great example, and again, I'm, you know, I'm not going to give specifics about what's coming when, but a great example, we have hexes in the game at the moment, but we don't have spirits or miracles. But that is not because we don't want them in the game. And, you know, looking at things like Pinebok, a, a sort of 40 card release for introducing something like a spell type or some other type of card that maybe has never appeared in Doomtown before. A pine box with a few more cards is an ideal opportunity to do that kind of thing. So when we created the release structure, we wanted to give ourselves the opportunity to do those things as and when we chose to do them. So we decided to go with this three small, one big, three small, one big idea. And listen, we may decide to do, you know, throw something else in there as well. If we, you know, if we felt the need for there to be something bigger than the pine box, Again, I'm not ruling that out. We don't have any immediate plans. I mean, we went on the website and told people that, you know, the plan was for the plan was for saddlebags and pine boxes. So I'm not sort of saying that we're doing saddlebags, pine boxes and something else. But the reason we announced it that way is because we knew that doing those two different kinds of releases at least gave us the opportunity to to give players new ideas, new concepts in a in a way that hopefully would be interesting. Okay, well, you, I think you just spoiled my next question, which was to ask about Blessed and Shamans, because they're, they're, it's, they're in the rule book, so they've got to be coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, it's, 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 not like, it's not like I'm throwing any big secret out there, is it? I mean, they are in the rule book. Yeah, I, again, I think the thing is that the base product, we, we really, really want the opportunity for, for new players to come on board. Um, whilst there is an amazing Doomtown community out there from people who played the game in the past and we have been absolutely bowled over by the fantastic response we've had from them, we also recognise that this is a great opportunity for people who've not played the game before to come in and play it. And what we wanted to do was give people enough in the base set that they could more easily get into the game. And a whole series of things in there, like the number of cards that are in there, um, price point that you're 
you know, you're releasing the game app. You want to make that attractive for people who've, who've not tried the game before. And you want them to be dealing with a, a card set and a rule set that doesn't get too far into depth too quickly. We want them to be able to grow with the game. So having one type of spell in there allowed us to, to create something that we believe is going to be a good entry point for new players and will make it easier for returning players to, to teach new players the game. And, and yeah, they can say, hey, you know what? Somewhere down the line, look, the rule book talks about spirits and, and miracles. So there are going to be other kinds of spellcasters in the future. But we just wanted a really solid place where, you know, we could put enough hexes in so that you can build hex decks from the get-go or enough gadgets. I'm going to assume for the purpose of this question that you will be at Gen Con. So I will be at Gen Con. Okay. So now AEG is taking pre-orders for the normal version of Doomtown. So let's assume that that's going to be okay. But I really do think that uh, the premium boxes are going to be one of the... Uh, if not the hot item for people to rush in and get on Thursday morning. So after a Doomtown Reloaded player has elbowed his way in and he's got his pine box and he comes up to you and he's shoving his set in your face with a silver pen and he wants you to sign a card from his set, what one is it that you're going to want to sign? Do you have a, a pseudo vanity card in the set? Do you have one that's your favorite? You know, what's the one that you're going to pick out for that? Extremely over-enthusiastic fellow. Oh, my favorite cards in the set. Wow. Um, that's, a, that's a good question. I think one of my favorite, my personal favorites is... You see, I can't, even, I can't even pick between, like, do I pick a dude or a deed or an action or a, or a goods? I, I'm going to pick an action card. I really like The Stakes Just Rose. I think it's a great, great utility card. It's a great surprise card in a shootout. It's a fantastic card if you get pistol whipped because, you know, somebody goes into a shootout with you and they think they've got a way of dealing with your best stud and, hey, I'm straight back in again. And it's a great card if you've got a good draw guy sat on the fringes of the action somewhere, maybe booted, maybe couldn't get into the, to the posse for whatever reason. And now not only can you get them into the posse, but suddenly they're a stud. And so I kind of love the utility of that action card in shootouts. So that's maybe my favorite. Okay. I think one of the more interesting strategic discussions that has been had is about, uh, oh, crud. I think it's Tommy, the one grifter in this set. Is he, you know, he's the, the mulligan guy. Oh, is he a terrible crutch? Is he uh, an amazing card you should always play with? Travis Moon. Yeah, Travis Moon. There you go. And so, I guess, for, from you as the designer, what are are your thoughts on that discussion, and what other grifter plans do you guys have for the future? I think both views are right, is what I'm going to say, because I think it depends how you see it, right? If you see him as a, a terrible crutch and you can play without him, then play without him. If you think the opportunity to get a second shot and not so good start in hand is important, then play with him. What I think is it's a very it's a very doomtown solution to the idea of a, a mulligan mechanic. It's effectively saying I get an expendable dude round town for two ghost rock, and for that two ghost rock I get the opportunity to have a mulligan. And it's not for me to say 
I think that's worthwhile or not. You know, when I play Doomtown, there's some decks I play him in and some decks I don't. There's sometimes I feel like I've got room and there's sometimes it just feels too tight with the starting posse. But I think it's a really Doomtown solution to, to the Mulligan idea. And I mean, you're right. You asked a subsequent question of more grifters because obviously we've, we've said you can only start with one grifter. And I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to play again with that idea a little bit and say, Travis is pretty much just a straight mulligan. But there are other opportunities to deal with the variance of an opening hand that we want to look at. But we, we obviously don't want you to be able to have multiple of those. I mean, you know, we don't want situations where players are able to effectively create the perfect starting hand that they want each time. So the idea with the grifter is that actually, you know, there's going to be different ways of looking at getting a better starting hand if you want to use them. But in each case, it's it's going to cost you starting dude in the posse and it's going to cost you some ghost rock. And you may not want to invest in that. And there is certainly an opportunity cost there. But I, I think it's interesting. I'm actually really fascinated. It's, it's going to be one of the things that I will be curious to see at Gen Con. You know, are people prepared to spend two Ghost Rock for an expendable shooter, but one who has no influence and no way of exerting control around town on the basis that it might improve their, their start in hand? It's going to be an interesting question. Yeah, I think usually for CCG or ECG design or whatever, the accepted notion is that once the card game gets out into the field, the players are going to do far more with strategy and, and deck construction than any design and playtesting team could ever possibly have the time to figure out. But absolutely. But in, in this little time period, we're in this world where nobody's really played a tournament anymore. There's a handful of people who have review copies. You've got some people kind of making shifts from Doomtown Classic to Doomtown Reloaded. Is this your one chance to kind of sit there and rub your evil genius hands together and just be like, oh, how little you know, fools? <laughs> I wish. I, I wish there was any genius is probably the first thing. It's actually, it's, I think it's super exciting because you, you're right that as soon as a game goes out there, suddenly you've got thousands of players all bending their genius into trying to build competitive decks and to, to figure out the way to play the game in the, in the most effective and efficient way. And as you say, with the best will in the world, that's, that's many, many times the number of playtesters that you have. But listen, our playtesters have been absolutely great. They've done a fantastic job. I'm really proud of them. I suppose, no, I don't sit there steepling my fingers and cackling manically into my, into my laptop every time I read a, a new post about what people are going to do at Gen Con. I just look forward to it with the same sort of anticipation and trepidation that everybody else does, right? I mean, I, you know, my desire is that we've released a game that people are going to have a, a massive fun with, that they're going to sit down and have laughs and have a good time. And I'm just looking forward to seeing people do that. Okay, let's go back to a, a couple more uh, specific concrete things. Each of the factions has a king in the Doomtown Reloaded base set. The Sloan Gang has Sloan. There's the Sheriff for the Law Dogs and the, the Circus Master for the Fourth Ring. But the Morgan Cattle Company does not have Mr. Morgan or whoever the king would be. Mm -hmm. So why was that 
decision made? In the way that we're telling the story, we just wanted, or when the, the group of us together involved in the story consulted, we just wanted to kind of hold back a little bit on, on what the morbid story was and how it was going to play out. So the King value will be coming. We decided to put one or two dudes in from classic Doomtown, dudes who had survived. And um, there was a great role in there for Max. And so we decided that when the base set released, Max was going to be the the sort of poster boy for Morgan. But that we wanted players to know that there was more to come in the Morgan story. And so we left that. We left that king slot empty, and you will you will get to see as the pine boxes and saddlebags release how that story unfolds. Okay. Do you guys have any plans to make different jokers? Yes. I mean, I think we do. We've got a whole bunch of ideas that we're playing around with, and certainly there have been several discussions about how we can we can play more with the joker idea. We felt that for the first few releases, a basic Joker card was probably enough. So don't expect to see any too soon is what I would say. But I think the wild card Joker idea is something that definitely gives us a lot of opportunity in the game. And so we are actively at the moment working with that. It's something that I've discussed with the design team on a few occasions quite recently, actually. So, yeah, we're definitely not ruling out you know, new and different jokers. You talked about the story a reasonable amount, and like one of the things you just mentioned was Max carrying over from the old story. I have a specific question, that, and then a general follow-up, which I think is the more important one. And the, the specific one is whether or not Blackjack will be reappearing, or has he been completely <laughs> ousted by Sloan? And just more generally, how did you decide what aspects of the old story to let carry over into the the new game blackjack uh no comment you really didn't expect me to spoil that one right (laughs) (laughs) good good try chris but no the thing is we know he's out there right he's not gone away because he survived from the old story um listen i think our decision was that we wanted to honor what had happened in the old game we wanted there to be a degree of consistency between what had happened in classic Doomtown and what we were doing in Doomtown Reloaded. But we absolutely didn't want a situation where new players coming in felt like they had to know anything about what had gone before. And listen, because what had gone before was so sort of apocalyptic, that's relatively easy. So our view generally was that in some way, all of the survivors from classic Doomtown, a nod would be given to their survival in some way. Now, th- that may simply be a piece of flavor text, or it may just simply be that at the moment nothing is known about them. One or two have clearly made it back as dudes. We've got Wendy back. We've got Max back. One or two of them may be coming back in the future. But the important thing for us was that we're, we're telling a new story. And we've tried to be clear with people as well that Doomtown Reloaded is not going to be the, the story is not going to be told in quite the same way that we did it with the old CCG. You know, we, we want to be clear with fans. We're not going to have as many 
direct interaction points. That doesn't mean there aren't going to be ways for the players to affect the story, but it's not going to be it's not going to be as much as it used to be. But that doesn't mean we still don't want to tell a really amazing, engaging story. And Tim and Brett and David and Paul are working really hard to build that engaging story that tells this new chapter in in the history of Gomorrah. And the important thing for us was that it'd be very, very easy for new players to come in that they they didn't need to know anything that went before. But returning players could kind of look at the odd piece of flavor text or the odd deed and sort of go, oh, okay, so that's what happened to Charlie. Okay, well, I think that's all the questions that I had. Was there anything else that you wanted to get out there to the Doomtown fans? Any other pimping of your delightful little game here you'd like to do? <laughs> First of all, I'd like to say thank you to everybody for the, the amazing response. I mean, it's been incredible to see the response from retailers when we announced it at Gamma, from new and returning fans that we've had the opportunity to interact with on the various sites that have been promoting the game. So, yeah, I do want to say thank you to everybody. I mean, it's been absolutely fantastic. It's been a privilege to work with the guys that I've worked with. You know, I mentioned that when I put the first article up on the website. An amazing bunch of volunteers who, who clearly had such a, a tremendous passion for the game. And that was, uh, that's been really exciting. So I, I want to thank all of the fans. I want to thank all of the players, new and old, and all the people who actually helped make it happen. So I, I would very much like to say that. We've tried very hard to make a game that comes with all the things you need, not only to play, but to help get other people to play. We work very hard on the sort of, um, for example, putting in the, uh, if you like, the new player guide board, example town, and a little shortcut sheet to show how movement works and jobs works and how the hand ranks work. So, you know, we've tried to give everybody a great opportunity to not only buy the game, but to then introduce other people to that game. So I'm really looking forward to, to seeing people getting out there and, and bringing what I believe is a really great game that was a fantastic original design to a whole bunch of new fans and new people. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Mark. It's been my pleasure, Chris. Thank you for having me. We've been talking with Mark Wooten, the lead designer for the Doomtown Reloaded ECG. You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can check out more of us at strangeassembly.com or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can follow us. We're at Strange Assembly on Twitter, or you can contact me directly at chris at strangeassembly.com. I always love to hear your comments, criticism, and feedback. But until then... I'm Chris Stevenson, and this has been Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.